0: morning everybody good
1: morning.
0: we've got some special treats this morning um, we're celebrating the end of our beyond 50 campaign and uh, if you went to early service you know that there are some really good reasons to be celebrating this um, and uh, if you haven't gone to uh, to church yet uh, the first part of the service we'll talk about the campaign and um, share some of the uh, some of the results and in terms of of the giving, uh, but also uh, in terms of uh, just what we've been able to do with the addition, and, uh, and and what God has blessed us to be able to do uh, as a members or as a congregation here, uh, representing Him. So this is a good thing. Um, we we are blessed. Um, I mentioned this at uh, um, at the first service. That probably. If I think of it, I'll probably mention it again. But uh, um, you know, I, I'm one of the vice presidents for the Ohio district, and I talk with other churches about how things are going. And um, as I talk with other churches, they're not experiencing what we're experiencing. You know, there are a lot of churches that are really struggling. They're having a hard time getting people to come. They're having a hard time just in a variety of different ways and um we are we are so blessed to be where we are and I and I want to emphasize that word blessed because when I when we interact with the things that we have here um I I really think that gratitude is one of the first things that uh just I'm so thankful to to be in the position that we're in um and to be, able to, uh, to be able to continue to do the work that we assign to our mission. You know, we talk about that as gathering people to Christ, building believers in Christ, and serving the world as Christ. And uh, it's happening, and, and thanks be to God. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, very grateful. I'm very grateful for um, members of our congregation, you know, who have made that possible, um, but, Grateful to God, you know, and the work that he's doing uh, in your lives, and our lives, uh, in the life of our congregation, so. um, Let's pray. Uh, Almighty, everlasting God, who through thy Son has assured forgiveness of sins and deliverance from eternal death, we pray thee strengthen us by thy Holy Spirit, that we may daily increase in this trust in thy grace in Christ. And hold fast to the hope that we shall not die, but shall fall asleep, and on the last day be raised to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Um, That prayer was written by um, a man by the name of uh, Veit Dietrich. And um, Veit Dietrich was a really good friend of Martin Luther's. He actually lived with Luther for a while and uh um and it, it's just kind of one of these sometimes it seems like when when big things are, are are happening in history that you just have this convergence of of individuals who do some pretty cool things and uh um you know Dietrich was one of those one of those people who kind of probably in and of himself didn't do anything all that earth shattering or anything like that but was just kind of swept up in the story and part of what was going on there, and, and we have some of his prayers and, and things like that that have passed been passed down from generation to generation to to today. Um, when when I read the prayer, when I was typing this up, uh, I I kind of paused uh, in that last line when you know, when I re- typed uh, uh, and the Holy Ghost, uh, ever one God. Um, those of us of a certain age remember then when that was always the way that we talked about the third person of the Trinity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that really started to to change, um, as far as I can tell, in Lutheran circles anyhow, kind of started to change in the late 60s, early 70s in terms of how we, we talked about um, you know the Holy Spirit. Um, and and I'm talking about it from a Lutheran point of view because I, I really I have not seen as much of the uh, uh, the other denominations in the Book of Common Prayer. I remember seeing um, Holy Ghost, uh, some of the Catholic stuff that I've seen. I saw Holy Ghost. I don't know what happened in the Reformed traditions or or anything like that. It
1: was about the same as you described. I barely remember as a kid.
0: Okay, yep. yeah, you know, and um, my understanding is. Uh, um, When a lot of this stuff was translated into English, um, those English translators were heavily influenced by the Germans, and the word for um, spirit in uh, in German is Geist, Mm -hmm. um, which is also where we get our word ghost, and and that kind of and a lot of English is Germanic in in its roots, so um, it seems like. And it seems plausible to me that that could be how that ended up being the dominant way of, of, of talking about the third person, the Trinity. But when you go back to the original languages in the Bible, the word in Hebrew that we translate uh, spirit um, is uh, ruach, which means you know like spirit, or breath, or wind. Uh, and the other word is, uh, in Greek uh, in the New Testament is pneuma, uh, which again has that sense of breath or wind. Um, and uh, um, I don't know. I do think that Spirit is probably the better translation. It's probably the better way to communicate you know, what the third person of the Trinity does and how he acts in our lives. Um, but I, I don't know what made, what made the concerted effort at that time frame to say, we need to change this. And the funny thing is, our kids won't know. You know, that'll be completely. I I still, from time to time, because I use a lot of old devotional stuff, when I'm doing the Apostles' Creed, will sometimes, you know, end in the Holy Ghost. Or every once in a while, I'll throw in a, and the quick and the dead. It's like, okay, no, get your head right. So.
1: I think he did Holy Spirit earlier in the prayer and Holy Ghost later in the prayer. That's what really struck me.
0: Uh, that's a translation thing. I don't know. Okay. I don't know because I, you know, Dietrich would have written it in German, and I would put money on that both of them are Geist. It's just
1: weird that they chose to translate them differently.
0: Yeah, it, you know, and that is one of the things with translating that uh, um, when people translate, sometimes they will translate the same word different ways, and sometimes that's right because of the context.
1: Right. This doesn't seem to, I mean, it seems like the same Holy Ghost to me.
0: And other times it's just like really arbitrary. And, yeah. So, yeah, no, I don't, under, I don't understand why. Sometimes it's just style. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when you're, but when you're trying to bring something across into English and you want it to be, or any language, and you want it to be beautiful, you know, which, honestly, a lot of the translations that we use, that's not one of the uh, priorities. You know, when you read through like the King James version of the Bible, one of their priorities, especially like in the Psalms when they were translating them, is that they would be beautiful, and and they are. Um, and uh, if it weren't for the vocabulary, I would be glad to use the King James version uh, of the Psalms all the time. But you know, some of the vocabulary there, are people. Who, it's just not words that we use anymore um but uh it, it that's one of my biggest complaints with the english standard version uh the translation that we tend to use in church i mean the psalms are still beautiful because you can't contain that um but uh at the same time they're they're kind of wooden and they're not as as flowing and and as beautiful as as they they could be you know so um, I want to give you just a quick glimpse ahead, uh, looking ahead towards Lent. Um, I don't know if Lent's on your radar screen at all, but it is definitely on mine. Um, it is a—it's uh, about a month out now, and uh, um, one of the things that I'm going to—in in the past, when we've done, uh, when we've gotten to Lent, we've we've often offered some kind of a devotion. Um, usually, I, I like to go to the Lutheran Hour Ministry um, resources. They they always have nice devotion books. Uh, I tend to listen uh, to the Lutheran Hour divorce, devotion in the mornings. Uh, so it, for me, it's it's like I don't have to add anything to my day. I'm adding it to yours. Um, but uh, um, one of the things that I would like for us as a congregation to do um, is uh, I want us to read through the four Gospels and spend some time in, in Luther's small catechism and spend some time in prayer. And uh, I think people will do this in different layers. Okay, so this isn't a, you have to do all of this, um, uh, but I would love for you to do all of it. Uh, but the idea that I had is, and, and I've got it, Beckett's typed it up, and you know it, it's going to be rolling out here um, closer to when Lent begins, is that maybe in the morning, we could um, read a section of the Gospels. And I've put together a, a plan to read all four Gospels across Lent. If Jesus is the heart of the Christian faith, I think it makes a lot of sense to really know who Jesus is. Where do we get the most condensed of his life? Well, we got four Gospels that uh, uh, the church has had for. Oh, something like nineteen hundred years, and uh, um, you know, so we're we're really blessed to have those, and we'll be able to spend some time just looking at, at who Jesus is. But we also know that the Christian faith—we uh, we talk about other things where where Jesus interacts with us, uh, things like the commandments, prayer. Uh, the statement of what we believe in, in God. Um and, and that's where the catechism comes in. And what I kind of imagine is that in the morning we would read um the uh the gospel and then there's a, a, a prayer, uh and then in the evening uh, we would read from the catechism and uh and maybe pray the Lord's prayer and, and I'm offering also some different themes for prayers through the uh through the season. And they and they will repeat kinda of week on week. So Uh, And I'll have that on the blog, uh, so people can just click on it and read it, or, because you can do this through um, uh, Bible Gateway, listen to it. I'm kind of fascinated by that. Um, Hearing, you know, faith comes by hearing. We don't, I don't know that we listen like, well, I know we don't listen like we used to, you know. Anytime I deal with students, I'm reminded we don't listen like we used to. We you know? don't read either. And we don't write. <laughs> That's true.
1: If it makes you feel
0: <laughs> So we we have the ability to be like the most literate society ever and we don't. And we aren't. And it's almost like there's this movement back toward that spoken presentation. And and Maybe we need, maybe we need to, maybe not embrace it, but maybe recognize it and do something with it. You know, in some context, anyhow.
1: The people are, are losing the ability to listen. Yeah. And actually hear something yeah. and not just have the the sound go past them.
0: We're very distracted.
1: Yeah. We're very know, a distracted. Lot of people look for distraction.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So um, uh, that, that, that's coming down the road and um, I would say I'm excited about that. Excitement's really not the right word. Uh, it's something that I think that, that we can do that has the potential uh, to be a real blessing for us, if that makes sense. So keep your eyes open for that. Anything else before we jump into the text here? In that case, we are at Romans 8, and I want to get through verses 12 through 13 today. I'm trying to set realistic goals. And it might not be, so. Uh, Romans eight, twelve through 13. So then, uh, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, one of the things that Paul points out here is that we're debtors. We're people who are uh, uh, we're people who are under an obligation. So, to whom are we under obligation? Why?
1: he's
0: God okay can you flesh it. that out a little bit more
1: <laughs> well, he made everything he's okay. in charge of everything
0: okay there, there is this definitely the sense that we are under obligation to God because he created us mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and as uh, as our creator you know he has something to say about how we live and you know all of all of those kinds of things um, so that, that is one reason that we are under obligation. Would we consider that um, motivation to be law or gospel? Law. We would generally consider that to be law. Although I do think that there is room to consider gospel in the fact that we are created. The fact that God wanted us to be. Um, in the uh, Old Testament lesson today from Jeremiah, one of my favorite passages um, where God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I know you. The Hebrew is bizarre there. It is a present tense verb. And just the sense of you are you even before you were born and you are you because I want you to be you. You know? It, it, it's just a, a a beautiful picture, and so I do think that we can think that that there is a way that we can think about creation as gospel, but normally once we start talking about what is the obligation there, we very quickly move into law so um why else are we indebted to god um,
2: I think because uh, God is our creator he um uh, and uh he 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 breathed the Holy Spirit in our body so that we can act, think, and do uh, tasks which will reflect His image. Without the Spirit, we are only flesh, and the flesh is dead. But with the Spirit, we are alive in His image. And the concept of death, is um, I mean this this is how I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it's kind of like when we buy a car from a car dealership. Okay. Like we bought a, we bought a car and then we yeah, we do the down payment and then we pay like every month the installment payment something like that. Okay. So definitely, our body and flesh that is something God has given us like a gift, and uh, we are. Like, uh, we, and, and, and,
0: we, and we need to pay the debt for that. Okay. Um, now, the scriptures do talk about the Holy Spirit like a down payment yeah. of God's promises. Mm-hmm. And I do think that your image of being uh, you know, in debt to the Holy Spirit uh, is, is, makes a lot of sense because you know, it's the Holy Spirit that creates faith in us. Not only that, he dwells in us he's one that empowers us to believe and and there is this sense that we are dependent upon him and you know and we owe him our, our life of faith um and, uh, and, and so when we look at you know are we in, in are we debtors to god the holy spirit absolutely because not only um, does he give us that faith he actually stays with us to keep us in the faith you know, and, and so, um, you know, the, yeah, I think that we're very much in debt to the Holy Spirit.
1: What is this saying? It says, we are debtors to live according to the flesh. Right, if you take out that, that clause, not to the flesh. So we are debtors to live according to the flesh, meaning no. as a negative thing?
0: No, um, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh is all one clause in oh, and of itself
1: he's fleshing out about I like that I like that
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah if you were if you were going to cut the sentence you know with the main idea it would be we are debtors period and then everything else modifies you know that that idea of being debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh so
1: he's not who we are debtors to in that.
0: No, and that's one of the reasons we're asking this. You know, So, who are we debtors to? And so far, we're to the Father and the Spirit. Is there anybody else?
2: Yeah. We're debtors to, debtor to the Son. He sacrificed himself for us. I mean, I think the, the best way we might make a human connection to it, if you think about it, like the movie Saving Private Ryan, oh, yeah. the guy standing there at the grave and he's wondering if he's lived his life well enough to justify the sacrifice of all of those men. Those men are nothing compared to the
0: sun who saved the entire world. So are we living our life to justify yeah. that? That's a powerful moment at the end of um, Saving Private Ryan. And um, that's, it's a very hard movie to watch. I don't know if you've all seen Saving Private Ryan. Um, and f- so uh, basic premise Um Private Ryan is the last child of this family. You know, there, there's a law, as I understand it, in the United States, you know, that you can't have that last child, uh, you know, in the war type of thing. And so they send this group to get Private Ryan and get him back home, so that you know. His two
1: brothers have died. Yeah, his
0: brothers have died. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. It's based on the story of the Sullivan brothers, yeah. who were all on the same ship, I think, yeah. Yeah. and the and the ship sank. Um, so, Private Ryan, uh, it, it starts out. If I remember rightly, it starts out with him as an old man, and then it goes into his story, and then ends with him at Arlington Cemetery, standing at the grave of at least one of those soldiers that came to get him um, out of Germany. And um, the last words that Tom Hanks' character uh, says to him before he, he says to Private Ryan before he dies, you know, is "Earn this." And as he's standing there at, at the grave in Arlington, he's, he literally just look his, looks at his wife with desperation. Tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've been a good man. You know, he's tried to live his whole life in order to earn uh, what those soldiers did in order to save him. I, I want you to notice something, though, when we talk about these motivations we have almost exclusively been in the idea of the law. That there is this sense of, you know, now I have to do something. And uh, when we think about, you know, being uh, debtors to God, um, I don't want you to hear what I'm not about to say. I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive you know, to live the best lives that we can live and, and all of those things. You know, I, I, I am a big believer that you know, when we come to faith that should shape the way that we live, it should transform us. Our conduct should be different than the world's, okay? But when we think about being debtors, often we think about repayment. And so, as he's talking about you know being debtors here, I don't want to give the Im- impression that that there's like you know I've got to do this. This is required of me, even though it is required. That's not what's going to get you reconciled to God. Uh, that reconciliation, that gift of the Spirit, is a gift. And we are indebted in a way that we can never, ever pay back.
1: How close is this to slavery? Because in those societies, slavery arose from death.
0: When you read some of the, uh, the early church stuff, and it's in, there, there's some of this language in Paul, you know, our English translations, every, every time Paul says, you know, you know, he says in the letter, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say servant. it says slave and and I think part of this is because of our American context that the the form of slavery that we found here in in the Americas was horrendous, okay um, and uh, uh, any kind of you know chattel slavery is clearly against God's will. Uh, people are not property, but there was a way. In the scriptures, that if a person were to um, live as a, uh, like they were to be an indentured servant, um, and they were to bind themselves to somebody in a form of slavery, um, that at the end of that slavery, if they found that condition to be beneficial to them, they could continue that arrangement. And uh, uh, part of that was that they would have their ear pierced, and they would have to wear a, a, a particular ring in their, their ear that marked them as, you know, connected to uh, those people. But it's it's no longer a matter of you know, you've been grabbed or kidnapped or um you know, you have been uh this is how you're you're paying your your debt, you know, um like you, so many of the Ameri- you know, English people who came over to America early on, um there is a connection back and, and a loyalty to that master. And I think that there is a sense of that because this person saved me from the condition that I was in. And that's what we're looking at here. Jesus has saved us from our condition of being dead in our trespasses and sins from, you know, being slaves to sin. And so now, you know, there is the, very much a sense of, yeah, we are his, his slaves. But it's a whole different condition than, you know, slavery in the South. You know, the whips and the, this is a slavery that's rooted in love and a whole different kind of freedom, which sounds kind of paradoxical, because it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I think I this little statement, I think there's a lot going on here. You know, yeah, we're debtors. And everybody is going to be a debtor. It, um it's it's a little bit different language, but a similar kind of idea. Uh, when Martin Luther died, um, it, the next day they they went through his clothes, you know, they have to clean him up, so they take the clothes off of him. You know, things that we don't often think about anymore that would have been very normal. Um, 50 years ago, you know, the families would have taken care of of the bodies of of their loved ones. A hundred years ago, probably depends on where you're at too. Um, You know, the traditions of your, your, your family, but yeah, you know, probably, yeah, 100 years ago here in the United States. Um, uh, and uh, and they go through and they, they find a, a slip of paper in, in Luther's pocket, which there's nothing unusual about that. Luther was a weird dude, okay? He often had a piece of chalk in his pocket and he would write on the walls of his house. You, you know, an idea would come to him. Or, you know, if he had a slip of paper and he could, you know, jot something down, he often. And uh, this little slip that he had in his pocket... Which have kind of become, in some ways, his last words. Yes, we are all debtors. Yes, we are all beggars. I guess it was the, we're all beggars. And just the sense of everything that we have, it's received. And then recognizing that reception, uh, as someone once asked, how now shall we live? and and there there's like I said, you know Paul here is saying, not according to the flesh. but yeah, but according to the one, and we we hit Father, Son and Holy Spirit as we talked all the way through this, and they've all as one gifted us in some beautiful and amazing ways so that you know, yeah, we are we are debtors to him not to earn it. But to live freely and, and joyfully, in in His will and, and in His blessings. Um, he, he goes on to say, uh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Um, I thought it was interesting when I translated this. It says, uh, it actually says, for if you live according to the flesh, you are about to die. Um, it's not just as the simple future tense. There is actually an imminence, like this is something that is hanging. Over your head. Uh, uh, you remember the story of the sword of Damocles? Um, I, I think the guy wanted to be a ruler, and he he hung a sword over his head by like a hair or something like that. You know, but the the idea is that there's this sense of impending doom. And uh, and I think that there there is a uh, an element of this here that. If you decide that what you're going to do with your life is that you're going to live according to the flesh, you are putting yourself into a dangerous position. You are about to die. If we live according to the flesh, why would we about, be about to die? I'll take advantage of the opportunity sip some coffee.
2: because in that way we are not doing God's will okay. but the Holy Spirit will always guide us to do God's will and it also gives us the purpose
0: to so His will. So if we live according to the flesh we're resisting the Holy Spirit right? Mm-hmm. Alright. Sam what are you going to say? And I think also this is true we can't please God. Not in and of ourselves you are right although He loves you dearly
1: mm-hmm.
0: even apart from you trying to please Him. Julian. And when we find ourselves separated from him,
1: it's death. Because it's death. there are different kinds of death.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And this is not a physical, I'm going to lie down and die, and my heart is going to stop beating. Right. This is the part of me that is near real. is going to stop existence.
0: So you go back to the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Do not eat from the tree in the center of the garden, because in the day that you eat of it, You will, will
1: surely die. You
0: will surely die. They eat of it. They don't fall over dead. Oh, God was wrong. No. There's a different kind of death that's happening there. And that's, you know, that's what he's talking about here. So, if you live according to the flesh, you are about to die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice this violent imagery. You know, a lot of, a lot of the language of the church has become therapeutic um and and then that has its place um but it's become the dominant language of the church where we talk about what God does for you how he forgives you and you know and all of and and that's all true and and important um but i I'm not sure that when you listen to the message at large in the church, and, and maybe I don't hit this enough too, um, but this idea of um, wrestling with sin to a point of death—that that this is something that that is get a hold of it and and uh, and kill it. Um, you know. When, uh, when when we think about the way the things that our faith does, what God does through our faith uh, in us, you know, there is this idea of the gift of the healing power of the gospel and the resurrection of the dead. It's absolutely there. It, it is essential to the message that we proclaim. But there's also very much a message of of wrestling um, with. This world wrestling with temptation, trying to um, do the the right thing. Um, phrases like "fight the good fight," right? Uh, it, that 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 is that is part of our lives. Um, even the idea of repentance. There is kind of a status quo, and repentance then would call us to reject the status quo, and to turn away from it, and turn to God's ways. That that, that is kind of a, a in a sense, a violent act. No. I'm not doing this. And this has been part of the life of the church forever. You know, and and I do think that sometimes themes rise and fall according to generations and seasons and and things like that so you know you don't think that i'm you know like completely poo-pooing the church in in this um although honestly like the uh uh, the churches that do like 40 years to or 40 days to a better sex life and you know things like this it's like okay i'm not saying that we shouldn't talk about sex in the church because everybody else is and uh you know if we're going to talk about things in a godly way, we probably need to talk about it here, too. Um, but um, I think that, that, you know, God has other things that maybe are even more important than that for us. Um, but when you go back into, into Genesis, I think it's Genesis 32, um, when Jacob wrestles with a man. Are you familiar with this story? Mm-hmm. Um, Jacob is about to meet his brother Esau for the first time in a long time, and he is terrified that Esau is going to come and kill them all. Because the last time uh, Jacob was near Esau, that was pretty much his message, I'm going to kill you. And, uh, um, and so Jacob is scared. He divides his family up in order to protect and so on and so forth, and he's there by himself, and it says that he wrestles with a man through the night and it turns out that this man um, is probably what we would call the angel of the Lord, which we would probably say is a manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. And he wrestles with Jacob and he wrestles with him all night long and uh, by the end he's like, hey, I gotta go, let me go. And Jacob's like, "Not until you bless me, I'm not gonna let go." What's your name, Jacob? Not anymore. Now your name is Israel. And that word Israel, it, it literally um, it, it literally means one who wrestles with God. So um, the 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 Sarah part in there that you hear in Israel, the I. Tells us the, the it's a, like a third person singular. Um, the Sarah is the verb part which means to uh to to wrestle or to uh to struggle. Um, and the l part means God, and this becomes very much a picture of the life of faith that we wrestle, that we wrestle to live the way that God calls us to live, that we wrestle to live as His people. So this is. I, this is strong language here, you know, when he says, put to death the deeds of the body. And notice, it's by the power of the Spirit. This isn't something that we can do on our own. We need the Spirit to be at work in us for this to happen. Um, So, you know, by the power of the Spirit, we're putting to death the deeds of the body. Not subdue, not resist, put to death. And this is very much a beautiful description of the life of faith. Um Luther once talked about you know what makes a person a theologian, and uh, and I think we're all theologians, by the way. Yeah, um, I primarily when I read this little phrase it's attached to pastors and, and seminary training type of stuff, but uh, uh, and, and the context that Luther wrote it and was talking about forming of pastors. but in my, in my life, I've experienced over and over again there are a lot of theologians out there. Because, you know, a theologian is somebody who basically studies who God is. And so, you know, you're all theologians of a sort, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, what forms a theologian? He says, prayer. So we're talking with God. Meditation. Um... And when we hear meditation in a Christian context, we're not thinking about just kind of, you know, thinking about anything and everything. Biblical meditation is very much focused on God's word. So we talk to God, God speaks to us. And the last word is struggle. Or sometimes the word is actually translated temptation. How is struggle something that's going to form us as people who know God? okay
1: we would just do whatever we wanted to do so this idea that we're striving and we're work, working at a spirit through us is allowing us to struggle and occasionally win
0: yeah, yeah. so there, there is this mark that the, the spirit is working us if if we're struggling with something it there's something going on there so there is a, it can be an outward mark yep what do we struggle against It, what's that?
2: The wrestling
0: of its It is. It it is. Yes. So when we struggle, when we have that internal struggle that that Amy was talking about, the struggle is against something. Flesh
1: our sinful
0: flesh. Yeah. And sometimes it's other people's sinful flesh. <laughs> and it's the troubles and the struggles and the trials and you know, ah, here I go again. And when we struggle, what do we do? What do you think, Sam? yeah and when we pray then we hope to hear from god and where do we hear from god The Bible, which is meditation right and then as we try to live that faith then we're going to struggle, struggle yeah it's a cycle and so basically it's this sense of you know you get it in here and in here and then you try to live it and you smack up against the world. Well, what am I going to do about that now? I'm going to go back and I'm going to pray about that. And I'm going to see what God's Word says about that. And I'm going to try to live my faith and I'm going to have more, maybe different troubles. Jason. I was just going to say that prayer and meditation, reading the Bible, kind of reveals in us Yeah. the Holy Spirit's revealing our, our shortcomings. And then, you know, we go back to Him with that. And then as we... Become more Christ-like through His Spirit. we have just revealed how much more we need Him. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a few years ago, uh, I, I well, a lot of years ago, I went back to school. Something I really kind of thought I would never do, <laughs> and, uh, and and I earned another degree. And part of the idea was I needed more competency uh, in, in a variety of areas of ministry and, and I could improve and I could do my job better. And, uh, and so at the end of that degree, they call it a terminal degree. The idea is you, you got it all now because it's terminal. Either that or you're dead. Um, and just the other day I was listening and I was like, man, I wish I'd learned these things younger. <laughs> How did I miss this? And uh, the thing that really impressed upon me is how much I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that there's an element of that in the Christian life. So, I'm getting it together, God. Look at me. <laughs> oh, but wait. Look at this struggle in your life. Oh, yeah. But then I'm, once you get something, you, you unlearn it again. And yes. And you have to get it again. Yes.
1: The, more, the more you learn the more you find out that you don't know anything.
0: Yeah. -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good picture for the Christian life, that we continue to struggle and strive and try to live as as his people. And when we think about struggling, I, I do want to spend a little bit of time thinking about how it is that we struggle. Because I think that there are a lot of voices in our world that basically would tell you to get your act together. Um, people like uh, uh, Jordan Peterson, I think is his name, professor from uh, University of Toronto. He writes, some, he, formerly, at University of Toronto. I guess he, he gave up his job. Um, but uh, he, uh, he's got some pretty bright things to say, you know, in terms of how to live this life and live in, in this world. But ultimately, a lot of what he says is, you know, get your act together. It all, it all comes back to, to you. And I think that that... What's that? His act wasn't all together. No, he's a mess. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, he had some health issues and he was addicted um, and had to go through some really serious uh, detox. I think he almost died. Hmm. But anyhow, yeah. Um, And I think that that type of an attitude bleeds into the church because it's a very... Human way of looking at things, and so far as I can tell, most members of the church are human.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: um, one, yeah,
1: on the struggling, too, you can have joy in that because you're recognizing your sanctification, yes. and continuing on through, yes, as you deal with it.
0: So, um when the apostles were first, right after Jesus ascended into heaven, they're proclaiming the gospel in Jerusalem, and they get arrested, and they get beaten. Those are some struggles, right? It says that once they were released, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. You know, so sometimes there there is there is joy in this. Wrestling and the struggle, even though it is painful. You know, because we do recognize that the Spirit of God is at work in us and that He is shaping us and forming us as His people.
1: And that can be a comfort if you look at it that
0: way. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the places that I like to turn to to think about um, how we wrestle, how we struggle. Uh, to live the Christian life is Ephesians six10 uh, through eighteen. Uh, a very famous passage talking about putting on the full armor of God. And uh, um, let me just read this really quickly for you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the scheme of the devils, of the devil. Whose armor do we put on? God's
2: armor.
0: Yeah.
2: I think it's pretty well described in uh, from verse 16 to 18, where it says, it also circumstances, take up the shield of faith, uh, with which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmets of the salvation, especially uh, this word, um, this, I mean, this section where it says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Yep. So I think this is
0: the most important part. So I want to dig into this just a little bit more next week, okay? But when we think about how we how we do this work of, uh, of wrestling, how we're going to put to death the deeds of the body, I'd like to use a, a little bit more of this imagery in Ephesians chapter 6. So I'm going to pick it up here next week. Um and uh, uh, and then uh, we'll hopefully add a little bit to that too. So, comments or questions before we go? Then let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time together, and we pray that your spirit would be upon us, and we pray that you would help us to live as debtors, not debtors to the flesh, that we would have to live according to it, but recognizing the debt that we have to you as our Creator, our Redeemer, and the One who sanctifies us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live joyfully in that debt, transformed by what you have done to us and for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.